0: Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was June 19th, 1865. 1865. Union soldiers were in Galveston, Texas, a state where the presence of Union troops was low and thousands of people remained enslaved. The Emancipation Proclamation went into effect two years prior, outlawing slavery in the Confederate states. But Texas was isolated, and the proclamation was not enforced in the state when it was not outright challenged. So on this day, Major General Gordon Granger announced to the people of Texas the emancipation of enslaved people. June 19th is now recognized as an Independence Day and marked by celebrations that honor black Americans' freedom from slavery. On September 22, 1862, a year after the start of the U.S. Civil War and centuries after the first Africans were enslaved in the modern United States, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. The proclamation said that all enslaved people in the rebellious Confederate states were declared free, and it took effect on January 1, 1863. The proclamation also announced that Black men would be able to enlist in the Union Army and Navy, and hundreds of thousands of Black men did fight for the Union during the war. But it only applied to states that had seceded from the U.S. Slavery remained legal in the border states, or slave-owning states that did not join the Confederacy, as well as Union-controlled rebel areas. So the proclamation did not outright end slavery in America. News of the proclamation took a while to spread, and Texas, the most Western state in the Confederacy, was removed from a lot of the Civil War action— slaveholders had migrated in large numbers from eastern states to Texas to get out of war-torn areas and shirk emancipation enforcement. By 1865, around 250,000 people were enslaved in Texas. Confederate General Robert E. Lee and the Army of Northern Virginia surrendered to Union General Ulysses S. Grant on April 9, 1865 but the Army of the Trans-Mississippi and other rebels kept fighting for months after. Galveston, Texas was a major Confederate port. Since Texas seceded from the United States, the city had been blockaded by the Union, occupied by the U.S. Navy, and recaptured by the Confederacy. But on June 2nd, General Edmund Kirby Smith signed surrender terms for the Confederate Trans-Mississippi Department aboard the USS Fort Jackson in Galveston Harbor. It was the last major Confederate command to surrender. On June 18th, Major General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston with 2,000 federal troops. The next day, Granger read General Orders No. 3 at the Headquarters District of Texas in Galveston. He said the following... The people of Texas are informed that, in accordance with a proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. But as with the Emancipation Proclamation, change was not immediate and all encompassing. Many slave owners did not relay news of the announcement and free enslaved people until after the harvest. Some forced free people to work anyway. Though the order encouraged Black people to stay with their former owners, many left to find family or to move north in a process that was dubbed the Scatter. Some formerly enslaved people were beaten or murdered after they attempted to fulfill their freedom. In December of 1865, the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolishing slavery in the United States was ratified. The next year, the freed Black people of Texas celebrated June 19th in recognition of Granger's 1865 announcement. Juneteenth, as June 19th came to be known, became a day that marked freedom and progress, honored through readings of the Emancipation Proclamation, games, food, and religious sermons. The Freedmen's Bureau was established in 1865 to deal with the social reconstruction necessary in the aftermath of the Civil War. But even then, records exist of Black people who were still illegally enslaved in Texas and other states. And the Black folks who were emancipated still faced the problems of lack of shelter, food, and resources, on top of the codified discrimination and racist violence that proliferated at the time. Since the 1800s, the celebration of Juneteenth has spread from Texas and throughout the United States. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Just an additional note that after Juneteenth, Black people needed places to gather to celebrate as white people had barred them from using their public spaces. They began raising money to buy their own spots to celebrate Juneteenth. Emancipation Park in Houston, Texas, which opened in 1872, was one such space. We'd love it if you left us a comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. I'm guessing that you love history because you just listened to an episode of this day in history class. You can listen to more history by checking out my new show, Unpopular. It's a show about people in history who challenged the status quo and were sometimes persecuted for it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hey, y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast that brings you a new slice of history every day. The day was June 19th, 1917. Revolutionary and politician Joshua Nkomo was born in Matabeleland in modern-day Zimbabwe. Nkomo led the Zimbabwe African People's Union and served as second vice president of Zimbabwe from 1990 to 1999. In September of 1890, the pioneer column of the British South African Company raised the British flag at Fort Salisbury or present-day Harare. British colonists called the area Southern Rhodesia, after imperialist and politician Cecil Rhodes. Over the next decade, white people arrived in large numbers and began seizing farmland and overseeing the mining of resources like gold, chrome ore, and platinum. The Ndebele and Shona peoples who lived in the area were displaced by the Europeans. They had made efforts to resist British rule, but southern Rhodesia was annexed by the United Kingdom in 1923. Nkomo grew up in colonial-era Southern Rhodesia as part of an Ndebele family. As a young adult, Nkomo took a job as a social welfare worker with the Rhodesia Railways. He began to advocate for railway workers and helped build up the Rhodesian Railways African Employees Association. And when the British government proposed uniting some of its African colonies, including Southern Rhodesia, into a federation, he was vocal about his opposition to federation. Though the anti-federation movement had many supporters, the Federation of Rhodesia and Nyasaland was formed in 1953. Nkomo gained a reputation as a committed African nationalist. When the African National Youth League and the Bulawayo branch of the African National Congress merged in 1957, Nkomo was elected president of the new ANC. Through his work as president of the ANC, he met other people who were involved in anti-colonial movements. In 1959, the government banned the ANC and hundreds of its members were arrested. As Nkomo traveled through Europe and the United States to raise money and support for the independence movement, members of the ANC formed the National Democratic Party. Nkomo was declared president of the NDP, which was later banned as well. Another party, the Zimbabwe African People's Union, or ZAPU, soon formed and was also banned. Nkomo continued to press for international support, but some people perceived Nkomo as a moderate and doubted his commitment to the nationalist movement. Some people in the ZAPU broke away from the group and formed the Zimbabwe African National Union. All the while, white Rhodesian prime ministers targeted Black nationalists. Prime Minister Ian Smith banished Nkomo to a detention center in a remote part of southern Rhodesia. Nkomo was incarcerated for 10 years, but his incarceration garnered him more support and increased opposition to the Smith administration. By the time Nkomo was freed in 1974, nationalist groups had gained ground. Nkomo directed the ZAPU's military, political, and diplomatic activities from Zambia. Robert Mugabe, another nationalist leader, had been at odds with Nkomo before but the ZAPU and Mugabe's ZANU linked to form the patriotic front and bring down white minority rule. Smith agreed to a new constitution and Zimbabwe gained its independence in 1980. Mugabe became prime minister and minister for defense, but Nkoma continued to be in conflict with Mugabe and fighting between ZAPU and ZANU supporters escalated. After years of violence and massacres carried out against the Ndibili by the Zimbabwe National Army, Nkomo and Mugabe agreed to merge their parties into a unified one called ZANUPF. The agreement said that the party was committed to a one-party state. It also provided for Nkomo to become the second of two vice presidents of Zimbabwe in 1990, a role that was largely symbolic. He served as second vice president until his death in 1999. In his later years, Nkomo dealt with health issues. Many people disapproved of how he handled political challenges, and he lost a lot of influence. Still, Nkomo has been called the father of Zimbabwean nationalism for his leading role in the fight for independence from white colonial rule. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them to us at thisday at You can also send us a note on social media. We're at TDIHC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow.